Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. For those of you that don't know me, I'm your host, Daniel. I'm a teacher and a family man, learning to be better every day through authentic conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. On this episode, my wife, Shalene, and I are going to be discussing a critical topic for parents, discipline. This topic is the latest chapter in a book that Shalene and I have been reading together. The book is Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms, written by Justin Early. Now, this book is specifically written for parents, but although Shalene and I aren't parenting right now, this book has already been life-changing for us, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you. In discussing this chapter on discipline, Shalene and I unpack some of the principles that stood out to us. Of course, the overarching principle is that, as Christian parents, we want to reflect Christ's nature in everything we do as parents, even in how we discipline. One application of this principle that stood out to us was Justin Early's discussion on the goal of discipline. For the Christian parent, The goal should not be simply to inflict consequences for misbehavior, but rather to seek reconciliation between those who have done wrong and those who have been wronged. We also dig into the idea that discipline is not about controlling our children, but rather training their hearts to love the right things. Now, even though the topic of discipline can be challenging to discuss sometimes, there is so much richness to this topic. And I hope that you are blessed by this conversation as much as we were. I want to give a big thank you to everyone who has subscribed to the show. If you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed, please consider doing so. We greatly appreciate everyone's support. Also, if you can think of anyone that might benefit from listening to this conversation, please consider sharing this episode with them. Okay, that's enough for me. Let's get into the episode. Oh, I saw our basket of pool toys, and it just made me think of like, where did your family store your swimsuits as a child when you were growing up? Uh they were just in our drawers like in your like in your normal bedroom yeah you think where yours not no no we had a family swimsuit drawer right <laughs> why in, does that not surprise me <laughs> well when i <laughs> say it that family. way it sounds weird but well my dad didn't swim so we had more room in the drawer because there were no swim trunks for dad but when there were they went in the drawer but yeah it was in our kitchen the bottom drawer right next to the sink because then any day of the summer you could just run into the kitchen strip down grab your swimsuit and be out the back door before anybody knew what was happening you didn't have to go upstairs to your room that's crazy and you play in the hose play in the sprinkler all the things and what was even better was when you could convince mom to stop whatever she was doing and get her swimsuit on too and come in the kitchen the drawer was in the kitchen? Yeah. Okay, I'm still hung up on that. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder where everyone else in the world keeps their swimsuits. Yeah. I don't know. I attribute that partially to my mom. Would you and Isaac like change together when you were little, little kids? Of course. Very, very cute. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Very sibling-y. Yeah. No, we That's did funny. everything together. <laughs> ah, childhood. It's a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of childhood... I'm glad you're on the show because I need to discuss something about children with you. You need to discuss it. Okay, I'm listening. Which is actually not just about children, but I'm doing a terrible segue into today's topic, which is the next chapter in the book that we are slowly but surely reading together. Yeah. Um, Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. Um, I'm still pretty... 
um, committed or really wanting to definitely read the book, obviously. Yeah. But I think it seems like these chapters are all worth discussing on the podcast. And again, we're not going to do it in, in like for the next eight episodes, we're not going to do them in order. It's probably going to be broken up just to change it up a little bit for the listeners. But, uh, chapter three on discipline is definitely, um, a deep topic, maybe a contentious topic, maybe a challenging topic. And I don't know if we'll do all the chapters individually, but I think this one can definitely stand on its own. Yeah, there's a lot. It's chunky. Yeah. I mean, we could probably do multiple episodes. I mean, there's probably whole podcasts on how to discipline your kids and how to discipline yourself and all of that good stuff. But uh, yeah. for our purposes here, I think that this chapter is its own episode. And there's a ton of stuff in here that is really good, really challenging, really insightful. Um, and so... Dive in. Yeah. Um, basically, it's just talking about pattern. It's, so the book, again, is about parenting, essentially, mm-hmm. and how to have ongoing habits that reflect God's nature, biblical principles, things along those lines. So this isn't like a tactical chapter on like, this is how you discipline your kids every single time. And when they do this, you do this. And da, 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 da. It's more about overarching principles of what does the shape of discipline look like or what do the patterns of discipline look like in your home? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. One of the things, I think the two he kind of has a pyramid of discipline, which I wanted to talk about. I think the top of the pyramid and the bottom of the pyramid are the things that stood out to me the most. I'm trying to flip and find that page. Um, but the bottom of the pyramid being what should be going on before you even have discipline. So before your kid smacks his brother or before whoever you know gets mad and throws their cereal on the ground, before you have a discipline issue, I like how he says that like habit number one is to have loving authority in the home. Um, and I, I don't know. I like that because it's setting the stage for healthy discipline. Whereas you could have unloving authority or you could have loving non-authority. Mm-hmm. Which if you're in either of those situations, I think you are predisposed to have either no discipline or unsuccessful discipline. Um, and it also just reminds me of... Um, some resources that I've also been reading about masculinity, Christian masculinity Mm -hmm. and how the Bible or the Christian religion is patriarchal. Okay. Well, in the sense of like God presents himself as a masculine character and how husbands are heads of the household and elders are men and things like that. And you look at the old Testament and like how men were leaders and things like that. And today we hear that and are like, ah, patriarchy, that's so bad. Um, But that's not what patriarchy means in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And I was just thinking of this other book that I was kind of listening to that talks about how biblical patriarchy is fathers who love their families and take care of their families, um, but still have authority to lead their families in a healthy way. And so in this book, The Habits of the Household, talking about having loving authority um, is just reaffirming this idea that authority and love are not contradictions, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people today have. It's like, well, well, if we give someone too much authority, then they'll, they could abuse it and it can be tyrannical and it could, be, it could really turn into a mess, which obviously is true, mm-hmm. but that shouldn't be baked into what authority is. Mm-hmm. That should be a, uh, a misuse of authority or authority gone wrong, but that shouldn't be in the definition of authority, that mm-hmm. it's tyrannical or overbearing or self-serving mm-hmm. or any of those things. And so as parents, we are called to enact loving authority because God lives out or operates in loving authority. Well, yeah, and when you're talking about this idea of like, loving authority and I just think of meekness and how Jesus was meek and how like the definition of meekness is given as like bridled strength. Mm. So the idea that the strength is there, the authority is there, but as the leader of your household and a follower of Christ, 
you're called to be meek like he is. Because so your yeah. authority comes under him in submission. Right. And under love. And it's like a harnessed, disciplined. Yeah. And it's harnessed by accountability to God and mm-hmm. to scripture. Mm-hmm. And so when parents have authority over their kids, for the Christian, that does not mean that parents can do whatever they want, whenever they want with their kids or to their kids. It means that the parents do raise their kids and teach their kids and discipline their kids when necessary, mm-hmm. but that authority is itself subject and should be submitted to the Lordship of Christ and biblical teachings and biblical morality, I guess. Yeah. Before we go any further, I just need to say a couple things so that I can actually like be present in the moment. Yeah, you're good. Okay. So I just am really recognizing that I'm really thankful to have these conversations about parenting and like talk this through with you. But I just am so convicted by the need to like have these conversations with humility mm-hmm. um, because I think that's not necessarily my default, even though I'd like want it to be, but I don't know. Like, I'm just curious who we in 10 years are going to be and how we'll look back and like what we'll think of these conversations with the experience under our belts a little differently. Yeah. Because we are currently coming at this conversation, not raising kids. Right. We are not raising kids right, right. now. And, and so, so <laughs> that I don't think that negates the goodness of discussing it. Of course. I just, I needed to say and like set the record for myself and anyone listening that like I am trying to come more consciously from a place of humility and like figuring some of this thing, these things out, realizing that in the moment, I already know it's not going to be easy. Like even just reading through this chapter, I'm like, oh, no like (laughs) like honestly reading this chapter and thinking about parenting just thinking about it without even having to practice it day in and day out yet I'm realizing like oh this is going to be the next huge area of discipleship in my life Hmm. because even just reading it I am convicted by all the ways that like oh that's gonna be so hard and like I am not Christ-like in that area Hmm. and so Yeah, I just wanted to say that before we really dive in because I'm just convicted and struck by that. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think I feel similarly when I read resources like this or watch something or hear someone talk about it because parent godly parents who discipline their kids are being disciplined themselves Mm -hmm. or or are living a lifestyle of discipline and being disciplined. Mm-hmm. And so the sword cuts both ways <laughs> yeah. of like, we are raising our kids, but the process of raising our kids is raising us too. Mm-hmm. And God is somehow in the work at work in all of it um, and is working on all of us at the same time, mm-hmm. even though we have distinct roles. That doesn't mean we then are even with our kids in terms of authority and sure. accountability, but somehow at the same time in our different roles and places, in the journey of life, we're all being worked on and we're all being sanctified, Mm -hmm. which was interesting. Um, And so, yeah, I like how that, how the author places that kind of as the foundation of discipline is like, okay, sure, we can talk about discipline, we can talk about what to do and what not to do and whatever, but like we need to start with like the background operating system or whatever standard operating procedure needs to be loving authority. And then, man, I lost my place again. In the middle, he talks about habits of pausing before you discipline your kids, praying before you discipline your kids, using appropriate body language instead of just words, seeking understanding, making sure you have good consequences. So that's kind of like the process of discipline. Mm -hmm. Your kids confessing what they did wrong and like all of these things. And we'll probably get into those phases. But then I, I was really struck by the end of the process or the top of his pyramid of discipline. And I guess it's a pyramid because what's on the bottom is happening the most. Well, and it's the foundation. Like without that foundation, you right. can't shore up those other actions, right. I think is what's up. Fair enough. And then maybe the pin, he probably just says this and I just forgot why it's a pyramid as, okay. opposed, just as opposed to, but yeah, I mean, um, 
the top of the pyramid is reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I was just really struck by that aspect of it because he talks about how when he disciplines his, he has four sons, I think, or his sons, um, he specifically makes a point to reconcile them back into the family, quote unquote, or back into healthy, loving relationship with the siblings or with the parents or whoever was wronged or whoever, you know, needs that. Um, which is honestly something I was not necessarily raised in, in terms of like, it was not specifically articulated. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it happened. So like reconciliation, meaning you did something wrong we need to correct it. We need to deal with it. But once it's okay, we are then going to specifically address and make sure mm -hmm. that everyone is okay and that we are back on good terms and we love each other and we are we have positive attitudes and emotions toward each other. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, a really funny practical way he does this is he talks about the brother hug. Mm -hmm. And so if the, if two brothers in the family fight or get into an argument or one of them hits the other one or whatever, parent comes in, they deal with it, they go through all the process of, you know, addressing it, confessing, but then it's like, okay, we can't leave this moment until you guys hug each other long enough that one of you either starts laughing, one of you, I don't know, you, you say, I love you, someone starts tickling the other one until it's like, okay, we are smiling until it's like, we are sure that everything, everyone is clear, all hearts and minds are clear, and we can now continue life as it was before we had this issue. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of imagine myself having to do that as a kid and being like, wow, that would be terrible. Like, I would well, hate doing that. I'm literally thinking <laughs> of even your dad. I'm just thinking of how, like, I just don't see that happening. Like, I just see him being like, no, we did the issue. Now we're moving on. Which is basically what happened. Yeah. Like, here's your punishment. Okay, you knew it was wrong. Great. Moving on. Yeah. And not to say that my dad was, like, trying to be highly efficient of just, like... No. But... But he's less focused on the emotion of things. Sure. And so I just... I don't know. Yeah. But, like, the, the arc of discipline ended with, here's your consequence. Now, now you can go back to normal life. Right. Whereas this other piece of, like, okay... Yes, normal life, but we need to specifically check in with all of the relationships. And we're going to check in in such a way that, like, we need to have, like, physical, tangible evidence that we are okay of, like, a brother hug where someone's laughing or tickling or whatever, or we can smile at each other, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I can hear already my parents, like, they made us do stuff like that occasionally, but it was more... Um, I don't know, occasional, and it wasn't like, this is what we do every single time. Sure. And so it was like, when you're extra, extra in trouble, then we like extra, extra make sure everyone's okay. But in the normal rhythms of discipline, that wasn't part of my upbringing. But I don't know, was it part of yours? Um, I can't really remember a lot of times of getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember... Nice. Well... <laughs> I guess getting in trouble for doing anything relationally that was a problem. Okay. Like if it if anything it was against my parents. Like I would disobey or I would be sassy. And so there was then punishment. And then yeah, they were really good about coming back around and being like, "Now, we love you. We forgive you. And you know that what you did is wrong." Like we'd have that whole conversation. Yeah. So then we would reconcile. Yes. I don't recall that with sibling stuff very much because I like super rarely did Isaac and I get in trouble for things with each other. Mm. Like we got along super well, like really, really well. A yeah. big part of that is because Isaac was the chill younger sibling who just did whatever I commanded him to do. <laughs> Whether that's a good thing, I look back and think maybe not, but like we had very little conflict. Right. It didn't cause conflict. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were chill always. So if we ever got spankings, it was because we collectively disobeyed mom and dad or so there was never really a reconciliation piece between us as much. Okay. Yeah. No, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think reconciliation came kind of just naturally in the course of going back to normal life with my siblings and with my parents. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's it was just interesting that he specifically said, no, we have a practical way of coming back to reconciliation. Yeah. I mean, my family was always together enough that like you had to be chill, like you had to be good because it's You're, not like you were going to go to your room. You were all so close and yeah. in, in the same space. Yeah. It was like you had to you were still doing life to get, like there was no option. Like you were not allowed to be mad and go to your room or to yeah. go have me time to like figure out your feelings. Like that was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a roundabout way, the aspect of reconciliation was kind of built into your family culture. I think so. Just, just indirectly. Be, yeah. Like not necessarily explicitly, but definitely like, okay. Yeah. Maybe even explicitly of like, all right, are we all good? Check in. Everybody good. Okay. Mm-hmm cool now let's do what we were doing yeah that's fair yeah yeah and i and i like how and i'm I'm not trying to just bring this up just because it sounds like a good idea but i like how he points out that this is a pattern that follows christ Hmm. Mm -hmm. and his act of redemption and reconciliation that brings us into fellowship with god Mm -hmm. and so i like how in this chapter he talks about how when we wrong someone or we disobey or whatever we we have broken fellowship with our siblings or our parents by doing something wrong and so the goal then in discipline is not to punish but it's to reconcile Mm -hmm. now if there needs to be consequences and punishment in order to reach reconciliation and maintain reconciliation, that's great. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of a paradigm shift for me reading this book of like, oh, kid does something wrong. I want to be a good parent, so I need to punish them correctly, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But it was really a paradigm shift when he said like, okay, that's great, but that's not how God operates. God does punish. There are consequences. That's all through the Bible. Yeah. But God's ultimate goal was reconciliation and so as parents if we are imitating christ we should also seek reconciliation as the goal of our discipline Mm -hmm. as opposed to punitive correction yeah which this ties into the same paradigm shift that you're describing is what i've really been thinking a lot about and really been convicted by because like toward the very beginning of the chapter um, he has the statement of like, discipline is not a tool for controlling behavior. It is a process of discipling a child's heart toward the right loves. And he gives like his story before that of how in a situation, like his knee jerk reaction is to like be angry or to like yell and assert himself. And like what all of that comes down to is like regaining control of the situation and asserting that like he is the one in charge and then like acting out of that and how that's that's not a like discipline that's not I think that's what I think discipline is. Hmm. I wouldn't say that, but when I think about like in my brain what well-disciplined children means, it's children who obey, children who are orderly, children who I can control. Mm-hmm. And who other adults can control. Mm-hmm. It sounds really gross when you say it just straight out like that. But yeah, I've realized that that's kind of what it boils down to. And so thinking about like it's not a tool for controlling behavior. It's a process of discipling a child's heart toward the right loves. It's a process of shaping them. It's a process of, yes, they obey, but not so I can control them. But because they see obedience as a way to love me and because they love God Mm -hmm. and like he commands them to obey their parents and honor their parents and like just a whole different, I'm still wrestling with like how to say it. Um, and all of that. Yeah. I'm actually really glad you brought up that quote cause I forgot about that. Um, cause I think that reminds me of disciplining in my classroom. Hmm. Because what would happen in my first year of teaching when I really did not understand classroom management very well and I did not um, do it very well is I would lose control of the classroom. Yeah. And on the worst days, like I'd have kids screaming at each other. 
I'd have people not doing their work and I couldn't get them to do it. I'd have people mad. I'd have people frustrated and the room would just be so sour yeah. in terms of the, the mood and the tone. And then the, my response is like, I need to have control. Right. And I need to somehow get these kids to respect me so that I can control this, uh, this environment. And... I think that that is a natural response. Yeah. But it's not a Christian godly response. Yeah. Well, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't reflect God's nature. Mm -mm. Because God is clear that although he is in control, mm -hmm. that is not his primary concern is I got to control all the people and make them do the right thing. Right. And it reminds me of this really good phrase that's been stuck in my head from um, Covenant Household, which is another book we, we read, where it says the goal of parents is not to get their kids to conform to the standard. Mm -hmm. The goal is to get their kids to love the standard, mm -hmm. which is what I was hearing you describing just a minute ago mm -hmm. of like not getting my kids to do the right thing, but to somehow raise my kids to love doing the right thing. Which is going to be so hard for me because... I've always been really good at doing the right thing. Hmm. And I love doing the right thing just because it's the right thing. Hmm. You, yeah, you were a natural like I'm a rule follower. Rule follower. Like I'm into that. Yeah. And so when kids ask me like, well, why? I'm like, because it's the thing you're supposed to do. Like that alone is joy. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and there's nothing that makes me angrier faster than someone whining about the rule. Hmm. Yeah. And there, there is, again, so loving the standard is great, but you're talking about bordering into legalism mm -hmm. where I love following the rules because it makes me righteous and it makes me a good person just yeah. because I follow the rules. No, like legit, this ties into like my besetting sin hmm. of self-righteousness. <laughs> it's going to be rough. Yeah. Like I'm looking forward to it because it needs to be chiseled out of me and has been getting chiseled my whole life. Yeah. But like, <sighs> yeah. And yeah. I, it's just, I, I appreciate the author because he cuts to deep fundamental issues regarding discipline. Yeah. And like we were just saying earlier, like somehow the sword cuts both ways and we mm -hmm. get challenged and sanctified in this process if we submit to it. Yeah. And so, um, well, and yeah. I, I'm just even struck by like, I had an interaction with a really good friend a couple weeks ago and just talking with her about the situation with her daughter and how like in a moment she was having a rough night, my friend herself, and then her daughter was also kind of having a rough night. And so in trying to discipline, like she took a minute and like breathed and from the outside, it didn't look like she was handling it well or meh, handling it how I would have Okay. of like, just discipline the child. She's not doing what you said. So like hammer comes down now. Hello. Yeah. And, but like talking it through with her and hearing her heart, like I was so humbled and convicted hmm. by hearing her thought process of like her saying, no, I wanted to put the hammer down. The easiest thing in that moment would have been like timeout slash spanking. Like you're done. Yeah. She's like, that's what I wanted to do. Like my knee jerk thing in the frustration was to do that. Yeah. She's like, but I had to pause and take a breath and ask the Lord to help me mm. and listen to my daughter and see what she was really needing from me in that moment mm. and like how to actually love her and disciple her. She didn't use that word, yeah. but that's what she was doing. Mm. And I was just like, it was so, I was so thankful that she took the time to like explain her thoughts to me because here I am over there, like judging her actions. Again, see the humility is necessary for me. I'm trying, Lord help me. But like, yeah, just recognizing that need to pause. And he mentions that as one of the habits in here. Well, you're reminding me of two of the habits yeah, yeah. in his discipline pyramid. Yeah. Pausing being one of them. Yeah, and just so we can go ahead and talk about that. But long story short, I was just really humbled by that and challenged by that. And uh, it was just a real life example of like, all right, this is going to be hard, but like this is someone who's really seeking to do it well and someone that I can learn from 
and just continue to talk to and walk with. So it was good. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he. Yeah, well, the first the first thing when something goes wrong, habit number. So habit number one is the lo- a background of loving authority. But then the first thing in a disciplinary moment that he has is to pause, right? So that you can be measured and calculated in your response. Right. So instead of flying off the handle and doing whatever your knee jerk instinct is to your kid, you pause and actually do something that's meaningfully biblical, I guess, in your response. Mm-hmm. I don't um, but what what also that little story reminded me of is another habit, which I think is number five, um, which says to be relentless in seeking understanding. Okay. And what what he means by this habit is getting to know your child in the process of disciplining them. Mm -hmm. So instead of just being like, you did this, I'm doing this, here's the Bible verse of why you're wrong, kid, and Mm -hmm. I'm just going to tell you what's what, and then off you go to your consequence, taking a moment to be like, okay, well, why did you do that? And what's your thought process here? And what are you feeling? And what are you thinking? Mm -hmm. Not to just blindly empathize with them Mm -hmm. and validate their wrongdoing. Sure but to show that you see them Mm -hmm. as a human Mm -hmm. and that you know them and that you love them in this process of disciplining. Yeah. Well, and to be able to like hear their heart and know their heart to then be able to speak to their heart. That's good. Parent and shepherd their heart. And so that's one of the ones I thought you were also going to mention because one of the other habits is like on your way to discipline, like pray and ask the Lord to show you where you're off. Or to give you just wisdom and how to handle the situation. Yeah. How does yeah. he word it? Is it the, oh yeah, pray and talk to yourself. And so just the idea of like, uh, for example, on the way to a moment of discipline or during that pause I might be taking, I often pray to myself, Lord, I am also, insert heart condition of child in trouble. Help me to see that we both need to be parented by you. Yeah. And so in that moment with my friend, I also saw her exercising that of like pausing and being like, Lord, I recognize that I'm also tired and frustrated right now. Hmm. Help me respond to this righteously. Yeah. When my daughter's feeling the same way. Yeah. Um, Because the ultimate goal in all of this is to reflect God. Yeah. And so the way, so the background of loving authority and how we discipline, like the, so these are not just good ideas exactly, Mm -hmm. but it's like, okay, if I wanted to discipline the way God disciplines, Mm -hmm. I I'm not God, and so I need to take some extra steps that God doesn't necessarily need to do. Like, God doesn't need a moment to pause and be like, okay, calm down. I need to deal with my children on planet Earth. And like, God, but we are imperfect. And so we have to take moments, take some extra steps to check in with Him, to be like, okay. Am I doing this the God way or the Daniel way? Because, yeah. yeah. And I actually wrote that next to habit number five, where it says, be relentless in understanding, where in the midst of discipline, you can talk to your kid and get to know them. I put, like, God doesn't have to do that. And I think that's something very interesting about, like, my own experiences hearing God speak to me Mm -hmm. or even hearing other people share moments when God spoke to them is, like, God uses way fewer words, I feel like, (laughs) than people do. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason for that is, like, when God says something, there's usually a tone that we hear it in. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not audibly hearing God, but there's something in our spirit that understands if, is he saying this firmly? Is he saying this lovingly? Is he saying this sweetly? Or is he saying this like, uh, you better like with a a real warning in there? Like the way people talk about hearing God, it's like, okay, there's a tone Mm -hmm. that is communicated and, it's also and so there's that but then there's also the aspect of like god fully knows you and fully knows the situation yeah. and in my experience and in listening to other people's experience that truth is communicated along with the words that god actually speaks to someone in a moment so when god says like i love you to someone or i need you to do this thing like when when someone hears god speak to them like God doesn't have, I don't know, I never hear anyone sit here, but like, yeah, God, like, 
we had a conversation about the situation and like God was getting some information and I was sharing. It's like God speaks omnisciently mm-hmm. in ways that we can't. Yeah. And so as parents, in order to reflect the nature of God in that he sees us and he knows us, kind of like the truth of like um uh Esau and who's Esau's mom? Oh Esau's not es- mom. Not Esau. Oh my gosh. Abraham's kid, not Isaac. Abraham's kid is Isaac. Oh, Ishmael? Ishmael. Wow. Esau. Ishmael. <laughs> I was like, what are you I, saying? Wow. Yeah, I know my Bible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ishmael's. Um, and this is where my brain just went blank because you took this it's whole It's Sarah's servant. Yeah. This Hagar. Is, Hagar. Gosh. That was bad. Daniel, don't do that to me. Sorry. Okay. Just the idea of like when they run out into the desert and that's a moment where God sees her. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was supposed to be like a really smooth like Bible reference and then <laughs> totally knocked the train off the tracks. Just keep but going. like God sees us. Yeah. And there's stories in the Bible like Hagar and Ishmael, whose names I know, um, where God sees us and then he can speak to a situation because he knows us and loves us. And ideally we as parents are not just saying truth to our yeah. kids, which I've, I've heard some people say like, well, I just need to be speak truth to the situation. And that's true. Yeah. But you're also supposed to do other things. Yeah. You're not only supposed to speak truth. You, again, we're seeking reconciliation. Mm-hmm. We're seeking to disciple our child's affections mm-hmm. in such a way that they love God's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeking to grow in relationship and fellowship with them. Mm-hmm. So those are also at play in the course of discipline. Yes, your child needs to be um, realigned with truth, but there's other things also. And I can't remember even how you said it a second ago um, of like knowing your kids so that knowing you their sh- heart so that you can speak to their heart. Yes. That was a really good way of saying that. Thank you. Um, or another way you could say it is like, preparing the soil so that when you plant the seed, it actually takes root. Mm -hmm. So if you want to speak truth to your kid, I'm not telling anyone not to do that, but are you doing it in such a way that brings reconciliation, that trains your child to love what is good, or are you just speaking truth and knocking on their forehead like, is it getting in yet? And (laughs) this, this is reminding me, going back to the loving authority thing and the idea that like, and the control, like if you're really exercising godly authority, you don't have to grasp for it. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm even just thinking of like Philippians chapter two, like Jesus came as a human and like thought it not robbery to count himself equal with God, but like humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And like how godly authority is submitted. And so it doesn't have to like, Like Jesus wasn't down here going, I'm the son of God. Hear me. Let me just tell you all these things. Yeah. Like, and so as we pattern ourselves after him, we have authority that he has given us. And that plays out differently in different roles in the family. Okay. But like, you don't have to grasp for control with your children and you don't have to read them a whole sermon, really. Hmm. Like you really, you have the authority given by God. So listen to the situation. And it also in my brain like ties into Proverbs where it encourages us like with many words, there is foolishness, but like with few words, there's wisdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, I definitely did not directly quote that, but there's several verses along those lines throughout Proverbs. And just that idea of like, it's really wise as a parent. You don't need to grasp for control by saying the most words. Or yeah, or just lecture. Yeah, I was going to say or lecture to them. But like... Maybe the idea of listening and hearing where your kid really is and then saying a few words in loving authority that speaks to that. Sure. That's enough. Yeah. Like those are just, I don't know, in my brain, I'm just seeing all of those like intertwined and coming together. The idea of like not grasping for control and loving authority and meekness and like wisdom in less words and all of that being difficult for me. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Um, I was also looking... I I like how in the book he also talks about common mistakes um, that happen. And I don't necessarily want to go through all of them, but I wanted to 
maybe discuss a few that stood out to you and me. Um, although I think we might have already covered them. Um, oh, actually, 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 no, I did want to cover one. So there's like seven wrong ways of thinking that lead to wrong ways of disciplining or lead to just not disciplining. Yeah. And one of them, I'll let you share ones maybe that stood out to you. No, it's okay. They're just, they were all rough. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, because they like cut and it's like, oh, dang it, I actually do that. Yeah. But one of them that actually stood out to me was the misconception of my kids just misunderstand. They can be reasoned with. The problem is education. And so then the the incorrect response in discipline, if you believe that, is he calls it useless words, where you just say a bunch of stuff oh, uh-huh. that is not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, for some reason, and, and the reason that resonates with me is because I had that idea as a teacher, hmm. specifically with the issue of racism for some reason. Interesting. Where it's like you see... I mean, obviously, racial discussions come up in the classroom, mm-hmm. which is like normal and of like should happen. Like we should be talking about things like that, and it and you can talk about race, you can talk about racism, you can talk about all of these things, and it's just a common narrative that like, man, we've got a racism problem in our school. Like we've got a racism problem in our nation, and like, how do we deal with racism? And da 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 da. Like like this has just been a major topic. I mean at different, I mean, the history of our country, but also the history of the world, whatever. But I would have, I had this idea that like, man, like nobody really wants to be racist or has racist ideas if they knew better. <laughs> like, or no one, or or even like no one would malevolently, maliciously do something with racial motivation if they really knew better. Like, the only reason someone would do that is because they're ignorant. They don't understand another culture. They don't understand another person's experience. And so they act not out of malfeasance, but out of misfeasance. Mm-hmm. They they make a mistake and it hurts other people and it is wrong. But if we could just educate people about other cultures, other people's experiences, other people's values, then like that would help. And people would be like, oh my gosh, now I understand. And now like we can like get along, you know, cross-culturally and all this stuff. And because that was part of my process of like, but what I was taking out of the equation is like, I was a Christian and I was saved and I was like being sanctified. And so if I didn't understand another culture and I had weird ideas, um, you could correct that. And I would be like, oh, I understand now. That like helps me connect and talk to these other people. Because all people have value. Yeah. yeah. And yes, there were these other background moral kind of beliefs that I had that informs that. And I almost like didn't believe that people would use racial slurs and really mean it. Right. Maliciously. Yeah, or unfortunately bully or make fun or whatever, or or really believe like the actual like people of this color are all like this and they're trash. Like I didn't think it like, was it really like, like are people really that dumb? Like I would even say it dumb as opposed to like evil or sinful. Like we say people are that dumb, like it's an education problem. Yeah. But it was like, oh no, like even if people are educated and know the right things yeah in our sinful nature we reject the truth and we choose what is wrong even if we know and um that's that is kind of just a reality i have had to learn from experience of like seeing kids have opportunities to learn and be educated and them to be like yeah okay whatever and then go back to being a jerk Um, and then also just like going back through scripture and being like, oh yeah, the Bible does say that. Like Romans one says that they are suppressors of truth. Um, and, uh, there was another Bible reference that said basically that verbatim somewhere else in the new Testament. And I was like, oh, that's good. Cause that like adds to the truth of that fact. But yes, but that ties into discipline. Where if I believe that you're just uneducated, well, then I'm just going to try to educate you and I'm going to try to talk you into doing the right thing when that's not even the issue. It's like, no, you have a sanctification issue Mm -hmm. and I need God to somehow come in and change your heart in the course of 
me raising you and maybe even in this moment, like I can't convince you into righteousness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, that's just a big kind of long story version of like that, that is something that I've had to grow out of. um, And I think I'm still growing out of, but yeah, I don't know. Were there any uh, misconceptions or anything that kind of jumped out to you from this list? I think, I don't know. They all, because the ones that he has are, they are doing this on purpose. So then our reaction is anger directed at them. I think sometimes I can feel that. Sure. That's real. Uh, This is an insult to me personally is something we can think. So our reaction is bitterness and revenge. I don't know that I feel that one in situations that I've come across so far. There's nothing wrong. They meant the best. I think if I'm not careful, I'm susceptible to that one sometimes. Like I'm thinking also in my classroom with situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Yeah. Sorry. One... I also. I also. Sorry. I'm just jumping in of like that one of like they didn't mean it. They they had good intentions, and so I'm going to like let this go. Um, it's right there. Yeah, I'm trying to look if there's a better one to describe this, but I've had. Um, I've had students that were raised that way. Yeah. Where I can tell, and and also just I get to know parents and stuff like that, um, where it's like the overarching ethic and belief is like my kid is inherently good. They have the best intentions. And if they do something wrong, it's because there's a misunderstanding. Right. It's because something about their environment is off. Right. Something they were mistreated. Yeah. They have trauma, da, 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 da. And if that is like the overarching belief of raising kids and your discipline, what you end up with is a kid who is completely undisciplined. Yeah. Because if it's never their fault and they're always the victim, then they never get disciplined and then you get the fruit of undiscipline, which is a kid that is just out of control. And uh, it's not as common in my school, but I've seen it and it's like, I think it's just like obviously not not a good approach because the, the, the result is obvious. But anyway, just reminded me of that. Yeah. Well, as you're talking, I was just thinking, I think one that I struggle with that is along those lines of like, I'm thinking the best of them or trying to give them the benefit of the doubt is I get really stuck on like, I can't punish them if I wasn't super clear. Yeah. Oh, I I get that a lot as the teacher. Yeah. Like it's always the game of like, did I clearly communicate my expectations? Right. Did I clearly communicate that a consequence is coming if they continue? Right. And if I didn't, am I really... Is it fair to punish them? Yeah. Is it fair to require this of them if I did not actually say that? And I think it's fair to actually... Uh, I think that's a good thought to have. Uh-huh. I think if you never... Like if like if we take the extreme of like you never told the kids that they're not allowed to do something or you never sure. told the kids something and then... The first time it happens, you're like, consequence, da 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 da. Yeah. Like that is unfair. Yeah. But then, like, do they get ten warnings? Right. Before they get in trouble, you know, it's like, well, okay, probably not that either. Yeah. And so I don't know. I kind of want to validate that thinking yeah. of like because there is we do have responsibility to clearly communicate because our kids need to know why something's but wrong. But I feel like and that they, can be and, taken advantage of too. Well, and that's the art. Like, that's especially with teenagers, they can be like, well, like you didn't say this specific thing. And it's like, no, but you have a brain and you know how this whole semester has gone. So this is where the art of discipline comes in. Yeah. Of like, there's two extremes and they're both wrong. Yeah. And then there's this gray area in the middle of like... I just, yeah. I don't like that one. <laughs> I don't like that one at all. It's a tough one. It happens a lot. And then I go... It just means that I need to be communicating more, which to ever think that about myself is just unforeseen. Because you are told all the time (laughs) about how great of a communicator you are, which you are, but you're not perfect. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Reminder's good. But yeah, I don't know. We kind of went through this chapter forwards and backwards and out of order. But if people want it in order, I think they can just get the book and uh, read it or apparently listen to it. You found the audio version. Yeah, it's on Hoopla for anybody... At least who has a Dare County Public Library card. Hey, free, right? Yeah. Free, free audiobook? Full free. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so it's chapter three if you're interested. But yeah, I think I was just interested in talking about our reactions and our perspective on it. And so... Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't need to sit here and read the book to anyone. 
Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But anyway, I think this is going to be a fun process of we're practicing discipline because we both are teachers um, and we both work with kids, but it's going to be a fun process actually getting into parenting our own kids hopefully one day. Well, yeah. Um, and yeah. trying to figure all this out. And yes, I do like your thing of like if we were to come back in 10 years and then like react to the conversation we're having now, I'm sure we're going to have way more, I would hope, more mature, more realistic uh, <laughs> I... uh, perspective on this. But again, I think I think it's helpful to at least talk about it now. Right, which is what I want to say just in general too as we end is just like I want to encourage conversations about this in general. Like even though we aren't actively parenting currently with our own children, like I want to be having conversations with you. I really appreciated the conversation I had with my really good friend. Yeah. And like I love that she let me into that part of her life. And I I want to encourage that and see that grow and then only grow even more as we have our own children. Yeah. Like just can yeah, continuing conversations. And I think as we have our own children, those doors hopefully will open more naturally. Sure. Um but if not, I plan to like take a key to several, you know, and try to open them. Yeah, that's great. But well good. Well, speaking of talking, thanks for talking with the talking with me now well, i can't talk i can't talk and i'm trying to talk about talking yikes but too much anyway you're welcome yes thanks for being here thanks for listening everyone appreciate you tuning in and uh if you have thoughts about this or questions or whatever um hit us up the emails in the show notes um yeah if we don't see you on a daily basis we'd love to talk with you yeah and continue the conversation so yep, yep. good stuff awesome well thanks for listening everyone we'll catch you on the next one Bye. Bye.